You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a compilation of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Festivals and Their Meaning. This is the last one in the Easter section. It is number 16 in the series we're reading right here. Uh, Number 8, or the last one in the Easter. And is the second part entitled Spiritual Bells of Easter, Part 2. The event of Golgotha, the Brotherhood of the Holy Grail, the Spiritualized Fire, given in Cologne on the 11th of April, 1909. Symbolic seasonal festivals as full of meaning as Easter enable our hearts and souls to penetrate more and more deeply into the riddle of the nature of the human being. So we will think once again of the Easter legend, which gave us an inkling yesterday of its bearing on this riddle, the legend of Kashyapa, the great sage and enlightened pupil of Shakyamuni. With a great range of vision and after mighty endeavors, Kashyapa had absorbed all the wisdom of the East. It was rightly said that none who came after him were capable, even in the remotest degree, of preserving what he had drawn from Shakyamuni's deep fount of wisdom, and as the last possessor of this primal wisdom had bestowed upon mankind. The legend, you will remember, goes on to say that when Kashyapa was on the point of death and felt his entry into nirvana approaching, he went into a cave in a mountain. There he died in full consciousness, and his body remained immune from decay, hidden from outer humanity, and discoverable only by those who, through initiation, were able to fathom such secrets. It rested uncorrupted in a cave, mysteriously concealed. Furthermore, it was prophesied that a great proclaimer of the primeval wisdom in a new form, the Maitreya Buddha, will appear, and having reached the supreme height of his earthly existence, will go to the cave where rests the corpse of Kashyapa. As he touches with his right hand the corpse, a miraculous fire will descend from the universe and transport the uncorrupted body of Kashyapa into the spiritual worlds. The Oriental who understands this wisdom waits for the Maitreya Buddha to appear and perform his deed on the uncorrupted body of Kashyapa. Will these two events come about? Will the Maitreya Buddha appear? Will the uncorrupted remains of Kashyapa then be transported by the miraculous fire from heaven? With true Easter feelings we shall be able to glimpse the profound wisdom contained in this legend if we try to understand the nature of the miraculous fire into which the remains of Kashyapa are said to be received. In the previous lecture, we saw that in our epoch the divine reveals itself in two aspects, in the macrocosmic fire of lightning and the microcosmic fire of the blood. We saw that it was the Christ who proclaimed himself to Moses in the burning thorn bush, and in thunder and lightning on Sinai, that it was none other than the Christ who declared to Moses, I am the I am. 
out of the lightning on Sinai, he gave the Ten Commandments as a preparation for his coming. Later he appeared in microcosmic form in Palestine. In the fire in our blood lives the same God who had announced himself in the heavenly fire and who then in the mystery of Palestine incarnated in a human body in order that his power might permeate the blood in which the human fire dwells. And if we follow the consequences of this event and what it signifies for earth existence, we shall be able to find the flaming fire which will receive the remains of Kashyapa. World evolution consists in the gradual spiritualization of all that is material. In the material fire of the burning thorn bush and on Sinai, an outer sign of the power of God was revealed to Moses. But through the Christ event, this fire was spiritualized. Now, since the Christ power has penetrated the earth, by what can the flame of the spiritual fire be perceived? By what can it be seen? By eyes of the Spirit that have been opened and awakened through the Christ impulse itself. To the eyes of the Spirit this material fire of the thorn bush is spiritualized. And ever since the Christ impulse awakened the eyes of the Spirit, this fire has worked in a spiritual way upon our world. When was this fire seen again? When the eyes of Saul, illumined by clairvoyance on the road to Damascus, beheld and recognized in the radiance of heavenly fire the one who had fulfilled the mystery of Golgotha. And so both Moses and Paul beheld the Christ. Moses beheld him in the material fire, in the burning thorn bush, and in the lightning on Sinai. But he could only have an inner awareness that it was the Christ who spoke with him. To the enlightened eyes of Paul, however, Christ revealed himself in the spiritualized fire. Matter and spirit are related in world evolution as the miraculous material fire of the thorn bush and of Sinai is related to the glory of the fire that shone from the clouds before Saul, who had now become Paul. What were the consequences of this event for the whole evolution of the universe? Let us look back over the great succession of benefactors and saviors of mankind, those great figures who were the outer expressions of the avatars, the incarnations of divine spiritual powers who from epoch to epoch descended from spiritual heights and took human form so that mankind should be able to find his way back into the spiritual worlds. Such, for example, were Krishna or Vishnu. In earlier times, man could only find his way back to the Spirit through the descent of a divine being. But the mystery of Golgotha endowed us with the faculty to draw from our own innermost being the forces that can raise and lead us upward into the spiritual worlds. Christ descended far more deeply than those other guiding spirits of mankind and the world. Not only did he bring heavenly forces into an earthly body, but he spiritualized this earthly body itself to such a degree that human beings could now draw upon these forces to find their way to the spiritual worlds. The pre-Christian saviors redeemed mankind 
with divine forces. Christ redeemed mankind with human forces, which were then manifest to the human soul in all their original pristine power. What would have happened on the earth if Christ had not appeared? Let us today ask ourselves this solemn, crucial question. One world savior after another might have descended from spiritual worlds, yet finally they would have found on the earth below only human beings so entrenched in matter, so immersed in substance, that the pure divine spiritual forces would no longer have had any power to raise mankind again out of this corrupted, impure substance. It was with grief and profound sorrow that the Eastern sages looked into the future, for they knew that although the Maitreya Buddha would one day appear in order to renew the primal wisdom, no disciple would be capable of retaining it. If the world had continued in this way, the Maitreya Buddha would have preached to deaf ears. He would not have been understood by a humanity wholly engulfed in matter. Moreover, the materiality prevailing on the earth would have caused the body of Kashyapa to wither away, so that the Maitreya Buddha would not have been able to bear his remains into the divine spiritual heights. It was those with the deepest understanding of Eastern wisdom who looked with such sorrow into the future, wondering whether the earth would be capable of receiving the coming Maitreya Buddha with any understanding and discernment. It was necessary that a powerful heavenly force should stream into physical matter and in physical matter should sacrifice itself. This could not be accomplished by a god merely within the mask of a human form. It had to be accomplished by a man in the real sense, a man with human forces who bore the god within himself. The mystery of Golgotha had to take place in order that the matter into which man has descended should be made fit, cleansed, purified and hallowed, so that the primal wisdom could be understood again in future incarnations. Humanity today must be brought to realize what the mystery of Golgotha actually effected in this respect. What was the real significance of the event of Golgotha for mankind? How deeply did it penetrate into our whole nature and existence? We will let our mind's eye sweep across twelve centuries, from six hundred years before the event of Golgotha to six hundred years after it, and think of certain experiences that arose in human souls during this period. Truly to the discerning human soul, the great and powerful occurrence of the gradual enlightenment of the Buddha, as it is preserved in the Buddha legend, can hardly be equaled in significance. He comes from a royal environment. He is not born in a manger among simple shepherds. The emphasis, however, is not to be placed on this, but on the fact that he leaves this royal environment and then encounters what he had not hitherto encountered, life in its diverse forms and manifestations. He comes upon a child weak and ailing. Suffering is the child's lot in the existence it has entered through birth. The Buddha feels birth is suffering. Then, with all his sensitivity of soul, the Buddha sees one who is diseased. This can be the lot of man when thirst for existence bears him into the earthly world, 
illness is suffering. The Buddha meets a man decrepit with the infirmities of old age. What is it that life imposes on man so that gradually he loses control of his limbs? Old age is suffering. And then the Buddha sees a corpse. Death stands before him with all the disintegration and destruction of life that are its accompaniment. Death is suffering. And through further observation of life, the Buddha is led to the realization to be separated from what we love is suffering. To be united with what we do not love is suffering. Not to attain that for which we yearn is suffering. The teaching of suffering rang with power and insistence through human hearts and human breasts. People without number learned the great truth that freedom from suffering depends upon elimination of the thirst for existence, learned that they must strive to free themselves from earthly physical existence to pass beyond earthly incarnations, and that only the elimination of the thirst for existence can lead to redemption and release from suffering. Truly a sublime peak of human evolution is presented to us here. And now we will cast our mind's eye over twelve centuries, embracing the whole period from 600 B.C. to A.D. 600. One particular event stands out. In the middle of this period, the mystery of Golgotha took place. We will think of a single feature only from the times of the Buddha, the corpse and what the Buddha experienced at the sight of it and then taught. Six hundred years after the event of Golgotha, the eyes of countless human souls turn to a cross of wood on which hangs a corpse. But there issue from this corpse the impulses which permeate life with spirit, which makes life victorious over death. This is the very antithesis of what the Buddha experienced at the sight of a corpse. The Buddha had seen a corpse and had recognized from it the nothingness of life. People who lived 600 years after the event of Golgotha looked up with fervent devotion to the corpse on the cross. To them it spoke of life, and in their souls dawned the certainty that existence is not suffering, but leads across death into blessedness. Six hundred years after the event of Golgotha, the corpse of Christ Jesus on the cross became the symbol which reminded people of life, of the resurrection of life, the overcoming of death and all suffering. Just as six hundred years before the mystery of Golgotha, the corpse was the sign that suffering must be the lot of man driven into the physical world by the thirst for existence. Never was there a greater reversal in the whole course of human evolution. If, six hundred years before our era, entrance into the physical world augured suffering for man, how does the great truth that life is suffering present itself to the soul now, after the mystery of Golgotha? How does it present itself to those who look with understanding at the cross on Golgotha? Does birth, as the Buddha declared, imply suffering? Those who look with understanding at the cross on Golgotha and feel united with it say to themselves, quote, Birth, after all, leads us down to an earth which can from its own elements provide a raiment for the Christ. 
we will gladly tread this earth upon which Christ has walked. Close quote. Union with Christ kindles in the soul the power to find its way up into the spiritual worlds, brings the knowledge that birth is not suffering, but the gateway through which one must pass to find the Redeemer, who clothed himself with the very same earthly substances which compose the bodily frame of a human being. Is illness suffering? No. So said those who truly understood the impulse of Golgotha, no, illness is not suffering. Even if people cannot yet understand the true meaning of the spiritual life streaming in with Christ, in the future they will learn to understand it. Then they will know that whoever lets himself be permeated by the Christ impulse, so that the Christ power draws into his innermost being, can overcome all illness through the strong healing forces he unfolds from within himself. For Christ is the great healer of mankind. His power embraces everything that the spiritual can unfold as healing forces, through which illness can be overcome. Illness is not suffering. Illness gives the opportunity to overcome a limitation and hindrance by unfolding the Christ power within oneself. Mankind must arrive at a similar understanding about the infirmities of age. The more the feebleness of our limbs increases, the more we can grow in the spirit, the more we can gain self-mastery through the Christ power indwelling us. Age is not suffering, for with every day that passes we grow into the spiritual world. Death is also not suffering, for it has been conquered in the resurrection. Death has been conquered through the event of Golgotha. Can separation from what we love still be suffering? No. Souls permeated with the Christ power know that love can forge links from soul to soul, transcending all material obstacles, links in the spiritual that cannot be severed. There is nothing either in the life between birth and death or between death and rebirth to which we cannot spiritually find the way through the Christ impulse. If we permeate ourselves with the Christ impulse, permanent separation from what we love is inconceivable. The Christ leads us to union with what we love. Equally, to be united with what we do not love cannot be suffering. When we receive the Christ impulse into our souls, it teaches us to love all things in their due measure. The Christ impulse shows us the way, and when we find this way, quote, to be united with what we do not love, close quote, can no longer be suffering. For there is then nothing that we do not encompass with love. Likewise, quote, not to attain what we yearn for, close quote, can no longer be suffering if Christ is with us. For human feelings and desires are so purified and sublimated through the Christ impulse that people can yearn only for what is their due. They no longer suffer because of what they are compelled to renounce. If they must renounce anything, it is for the sake of purification, and the Christ power enables them to feel it as such. Therefore, renunciation is no longer suffering. What is the essence of the event of Golgotha? It is the gradual undoing 
of the facts associated by the great Buddha with suffering. There is nothing that affects cosmic evolution and cosmic existence more deeply than the event of Golgotha. Therefore, we can also understand that its influence works on with positive and momentous consequences for the future of mankind. Christ is the greatest of all the avatars who have come down to the earth. When such a being as the Christ within Jesus of Nazareth descends into earthly existence, this marks the beginning of a mysterious and supremely significant process. When we sow a grain of corn in the earth, it germinates and blade and ear spring from it, bearing innumerable grains, which are replicas of the one grain of corn we laid into the soil. So it is, on a magnified scale, in the spiritual world. Quote, Everything transient is but a semblance. Close quote. And in this multiplication of the grain of corn, we can perceive an image, a semblance of the spiritual world. When the mystery of Golgotha was accomplished, something happened to the etheric body and the astral body of Jesus of Nazareth. Through the power of the indwelling Christ, they were multiplied. And ever since that time, many, many replicas of the astral body and etheric body of Jesus of Nazareth have been present in the spiritual world and have had a particular effect. A human individual descending from spiritual heights into physical existence clothes himself with an etheric body and an astral body. But such replicas of the etheric and astral bodies of Jesus of Nazareth enable a very special occurrence to take place in those whose karma permits it. After the mystery of Golgotha, when the karma of a particular individual allowed this, a replica of the etheric body or of the astral body of Jesus of Nazareth was woven into him. When Augustine, for example, in the early part of our era, came down from spiritual heights and clothed himself in an etheric body, a replica of the etheric body of Jesus of Nazareth was woven into his own etheric body. He bore his own astral body and ego, but into his etheric body was woven a replica of the etheric body of Jesus of Nazareth. And so the sheaths in which the divine man of Palestine had been embodied were transmitted to others, whose task it then was to carry forth the influence of this great impulse into the rest of humanity. It was because Augustine remained dependent upon his own ego and his own astral body that he was subject to all the doubt, all the vacillation and error, which, since they emanated from these still imperfect parts of his being, it was so difficult for him to overcome. All the experiences he endured were due to his mistaken judgment and the errors of his ego. But when he had wrestled through, when his etheric body began to operate, he came upon the forces woven into his etheric body from the replica of the etheric body of Jesus of Nazareth. And then he became the one who was able to proclaim to the West some of the great mystery truths. There were many whom we recognize as the great bearers of Christianity in the West, whose mission was to spread Christianity during the 4th, 5th, and 6th centuries, and up until the 10th, who were illumined by the mighty ideas which made them examples and ideals for others. These were persons into whose etheric bodies a replica of the etheric body of Jesus of Nazareth 
had been woven. That was the reason why there could arise in them the great visions and ideals which were then elaborated and given form by the great painters and sculptors. How did the ideal images underlying these pictures that still delight us come into being? They arose through the inwoven replicas of the hallowed etheric body of Jesus of Nazareth, which gave to people of the 5th, 6th, 7th and 8th centuries of our era great illuminations of the truths of Christianity, making them independent of historical tradition. In addition to the content of Christ's teaching, there had been woven into such people a replica of the etheric body of Jesus of Nazareth. They had no need of historical facts about Christianity, for they knew through inner illumination that the Christ lives. They bore within them part of the being of Jesus of Nazareth, and therefore they knew that Christ lives, just as Paul knew it when he appeared to him in the spiritualized fire of heaven. Until then, had Paul allowed himself to be converted by stories of the events in Palestine? No single one of the events, of which he could have been told, was able to make Saul into Paul. Yet it was from Paul that the most powerful impulse for the outer spread of Christianity proceeded. From one who had remained unconvinced by accounts of events on the physical plane, but who became a believer through an occult event taking place in the spiritual world. It is a strange attitude to wish to have Christianity without the factor of spiritual illumination. For without Paul's spiritual illumination, Christianity would never have spread through the world. The early spread of Christianity was due to a super-sensible happening. In later times also, Christianity was propagated through those who were able to experience the historical Christ in inner illumination, because they bore within them what had remained of this actual embodiment. In the 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th centuries, replicas of the astral body of Jesus of Nazareth were woven into other human beings when their karma so permitted and they were sufficiently mature. Francis of Assisi, Elizabeth of Turingen, for example, and others too bore within them a replica of the astral body of Jesus of Nazareth. Without this knowledge, the lives of Francis of Assisi and Elizabeth of Turingen are unintelligible to us. Everything that seems so strange today in the life of Francis of Assisi is because his eye, capital, was a human eye, whereas the humility, the devoutness, and the fervor we so admire in him are due to the fact that a replica of the astral body of Jesus of Nazareth was woven into his own astral body. The same was true of many other personalities living at that time. When we know this, they become ideals and examples for us. How can anyone really understand the life of Elizabeth of Turingen without knowing that a replica of the astral body of Jesus of Nazareth was woven into her? Very many were called in this way by the continuing Christ power to bear its mighty impulse onward into the future. But something else too was preserved for still later times, innumerable replicas of the I, capital, of Jesus of Nazareth remained. True, his original higher eye had departed from the three bodies when the Christ drew into them. But a replica of it 
exalted yet further by the Christ event, remained present and was multiplied many times. This replica of the eye of Jesus of Nazareth is present to this day in the spiritual world. Yes, the glory of the Christ power and Christ impulse it bears within it can be found by those who are sufficiently mature. Now the outer physical expression for the eye is the blood. This is a great mystery, but there have always been people who knew of it and were aware that replicas of the eye of Jesus of Nazareth are present in the spiritual world. There have always been people whose task it was, through the centuries since the event of Golgotha, secretly to ensure that humanity gradually matures, so that there may be human beings fit to receive the replicas of the eye of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, just as there were persons who received replicas of his etheric body and astral body. To this end it was necessary to discover the secret of how in the still depths of a profound mystery this eye might be preserved until the appropriate moment in the evolution of the earth and of humanity. With this aim a brotherhood of initiates was founded which preserved the secret, the brotherhood of the Holy Grail. They were the guardians of this secret. This fellowship has always existed. It is said that its originator, took the chalice used by Christ Jesus at the Last Supper and in it caught the blood flowing from the wounds of the Redeemer on the cross. He gathered the blood, the expression of the eye, in this chalice, the Holy Grail. And the chalice with the blood of the Redeemer, with the secret of the replica of the eye of Christ Jesus, was preserved in a holy place, in the brotherhood of those who are ordained and initiated as brothers of the Holy Grail. The time has now come when these secrets may be made known, when through a spiritual life the hearts of human beings can become mature enough to understand this great mystery. If our souls allow spiritual science to kindle understanding of such secrets, they become fit to recognize in that holy chalice the mystery of the Christ I, the eternal I, which every human eye can become. The secret can be grasped. Only people must allow themselves to be summoned through spiritual science to find its reality, to contemplate the Holy Grail, so that the Christ eye may be received into their being. This can only happen when they understand the full factual reality of these events. As human beings become better prepared to receive the Christ ego, it will pour in greater and greater fullness into their souls. They will then evolve to the level where stood Christ Jesus, their great example and ideal. Then, for the first time, they will come to understand the full extent of Christ Jesus' great example for humanity. And having understood this, they will begin to realize in the innermost core of their being that the truth and assurance of life's eternity springs from the corpse hanging on the wood of the cross of Golgotha. Those who are inspired and permeated by the Christ I, the Christians of future time, will understand something else as well, something that hitherto has been known only to those who attained enlightenment. They will understand not only the Christ who passed through death, but the triumphant Christ of the Apocalypse, resurrected in the spiritual fire, the Christ whose coming has been prophesied.
The Easter festival can always be for us a symbol of the risen one, a link reaching from Christ on the cross to the triumphant, risen, and glorified Christ, to the one who lifts all mankind with him to the right hand of the Father. And so the Easter symbol opens up for us a long vista of the whole future of the earth, of the future evolution of humanity. It is for us a guarantee that those who are Christ-inspired will be transformed from Saul people into Paul people and will behold with increasing clarity a spiritual fire. Just as the Christ was revealed in advance to Moses and his followers in the material fire of the thorn bush and the lightning on Sinai, so truly he will be revealed to us in a spiritualized fire of the future. Quote, he is with us always until the end of the world. And he will appear in the spiritual fire to those who have allowed their eyes to be enlightened through the event of Golgotha. Human beings will behold him in the spiritual fire. They beheld him to begin with in a different form. It is in a spiritual fire that they will behold him for the first time in his true form. But because the Christ penetrated so deeply into earth existence, right into the physical bone structure, the power which formed his body out of the elements of the earth purified and hallowed this physical substance. This happened to such a degree that it can never again become what in their sorrow the Eastern sages feared. They believed that the enlightened one of the future, the Maitreya Buddha, would find no one on the earth capable of understanding him because they had sunk so deeply into matter. Christ was led to Golgotha in order that he might lift matter again to spiritual heights, in order that the fire might not be extinguished in matter, but be spiritualized. The primal wisdom will again be intelligible to human beings when they themselves are spiritualized. The primal wisdom, which in the spiritual world was the source of their being. And so the Maitreya Buddha will find understanding on the earth which would not otherwise have been possible when humanity has attained deeper insight. We understand far better what we learned in our youth when we look back upon it after the experiences and trials of life have matured us. Mankind will understand the primal wisdom through being able to look back upon it in the Christ light streaming from the event of Golgotha. And now... How can the uncorrupted remains of Kashyapa be rescued, and whither will they be transported? It was said the Maitreya Buddha will appear, touch these remains with his right hand, and the corpse will be transported in fire. In the fire made manifest to Paul on the road to Damascus, we have seen the miraculous spiritualized fire in which the body of Kashyapa will be enshrined. This fire will rescue for future times all that was great and noble in the past. In the spiritualized fire in which the Christ appeared to Paul, the body of Kashyapa, untouched by corruption, will be saved through the Maitreya Buddha. Thus we shall see the greatness, splendor and wisdom of all past epochs stream into what mankind has become through the event of Golgotha. A resurrection of the very spirit of the earth itself, a redemption of humanity, 
is given us in the symbol of the Easter bells. This symbol revealed to all who understood it how the Easter mystery enables man to climb to spiritual heights. It is not without meaning that Faust is called back by the Easter bells from the brink of death to a new life, that he is thereby led to the great moment when he becomes blind before his death and cries, quote, But in my inmost spirit all is light. Close quote. Now he can make his way up into the spiritual worlds, where the ennobled elements of humanity are in safe keeping. In the purified spirituality that has poured over the earth and into humanity through the mystery of Golgotha, everything that has existed in the past is rescued, purified, sustained. And so at last, when the Maitreya Buddha appears, the uncorrupted body of Kashyapa, the great sage of the East, will be purified in the miraculous fire, in the Christ light, which was revealed to Paul on the road to Damascus. The end of Lecture 16 and the end of the Easter section.